Hello, and welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions, so make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level to interact with us. We love seeing you live every Thursday night. We love seeing you on Facebook and YouTube on those live streams. The chats are always lit, and just remember, your chats may show up on the show, so... Watch your tongue. Uh, as always, if you can't watch us live, let's check us out later on the replays or in your favorite podcasting app. You know me. My name is John Ruark. I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. And next up for their introduction, it's Don and Joe again. The Don and Joe show. The Don and Joe show. Hello, Joe Martinez. Uh, still not past master. Of the NASA Lodge, number one eighty-two, and to my right is a distinguished past master of this lodge, and and a, and a past master of the Patriot Lodge. And too. I will let him introduce two for two. Me. Don, who are you? Nobody knows who you are. Everybody knows me. It's Don. It's Dominic Andrews. Awesome. And next up for the, his introduction, the ceiling. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Richards here on the mobile Masonic command, yet still in the office. Um, Pathmaster Vacation Lodge number 16 in Clifton, Virginia, member of the Colonial Lodge number 1821, and Lafayette Lodge number 79. That was a fun intro. I mean, you you, you kind of did like the like the TikTok like reveal and the and it went to the hair, the quiet hair. It was like the fisheye lens. Man, people who are listening to this are missing out. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Well, let's move into, let's see, tarot card of the week. I seem to have my deck at the ready, so let me bring up the extra screen. Add stream. We're going to do it. How are we going to do it? We're going to do it like We're going to do it live. We're going to do it live. So we're talking about literally masonry, so hopefully we get some literal interpretation of the cards here. What uh, what deck are you using tonight? I am using the tried but true standard rider weight Smith deck. Oh, how and literally also now known as the Smith weight deck. Ah, uh, yes. Why? Or they? Because Rider the the company is Rider really, was the publisher. Yeah, that's right. But and, it's public domain now. So and Pamela Coleman Smith. Um, really never got her due mm. for the artistic creativity and liberty that she she took in okay. creating those cards mm -hmm. okay i like it i like it it's gonna take a minute to get used to it yeah the smith weight <laughs> deck okay smith weight write that down or is it the weight smith either way let's go into the queen of pentacles so queen of pentacles is actually a very practical card actually so um what i like about this it's a very motherly down-to-earth grounded like nurturing uh, practical kind of card um a very motherly card so this is someone who's got their stuff together but in a nurturing caring way right so that's that's the way i like to see that so it's a good card for uh how we should be approaching this episode very nurturing caring comfortable stable strong strong woman Okay, we will not, not have not uh, flying not off the be, handle. Yeah, not a lot of nurturing from this side. Did of not the, yeah. the Joe, I promise. Chan, channel, channel your inner Queen of Pentacles. Here we go. 
Well, we've got Don here, who's the uh, Queen of Tentacles. It's yeah. not that kind of show. It's it's a different Japanese anime <laughs> deck. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh goodness, oh, man. So there we go. Let's uh, let's take that and run with it in tonight's episode, which we're going to talk about. Literally, well, we, thank Wait, you, man. we do have to thank people. Why did I put that yes. out of order? I did put it out of order, dude. What is wrong with you tonight? Pay, pay the bills. Thank you, you very much, bills, patrons. Man. You guys are thank awesome. Yes. So, uh, if you want to support the show, head over to Patreon.com/slash The Masonic Roundtable to and get the more you give, the more times Don we can get him out of <laughs> out of his his jail cell and bring him on the show. <laughs> you know, we should we should get. Get Don a, a regular spot on here. Don the intern. Don the intern. <laughs> yeah. Another another cool look at uh, another Dex Queen of Pentacles. This is the mother, the mother of Pentacles and like the uh, the wild unknown tarot from uh, Kim like Grants. Pretty. The yeah. Bambi Bambi of Pentacles. Yes. Mm. Except my uh, father of of Pentacles is is quite nice as well. Nice. So, oh, cool. West Epic. Coaster. That's a horny dude. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to talk about Masonic literalism. So let's dive into what that means. Uh, He's why literally a, a horny dude. That's he right. Literally. <laughs> Good job, Don. Yeah. Yeah. I was All thinking right. about taking the uh, the literal interpretation of the tarot card and like, well, there's a woman sitting in a chair holding a pentacle. There's some water behind her. <laughs> Just the literal description of the tarot card. Yeah. Not the interpretive, not the allegorical, because that's important for the show. Is it? The answer is yes. The answer, the answer. is always yes. So, yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> so let's, Joe, uh, why, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about this? So um, we were, I, I saw a lot of people responding to the, the posts on Facebook and uh, you know what the show is actually going to be talking about. So today's show is not about us tearing apart one subject like biblical literalism let's mm-hmm. say that's not what we're here to talk about we talk- will talk about that it, it's part of it yeah absolutely in pieces yes. yes but the purpose of tonight's show was because we've seen as a group and i think many masons in general have seen that you have a group of masons that literalism permeates their entire existence as a freemason whether mm-hmm. it's looking at the ritual whether it's looking at the words that they say or the words that they use, whether it's we're talking about the symbols that are presented to the Mason, they take them in a very literal way and they espouse that literal message. And I think by the end of the show, uh, you know, if I can spoil the ending, I think we're going to come to an agreement that it's not a good way to be. And it's not a good way to practice Masonry is to be overtly literal about every single thing that you encounter as a Freemason, because Freemasonry is not a literal system. It is what's what's the trope? It's a uh, that's a system, system of morality veiled in allegory and, and illustrated by symbols. It doesn't say anything about illustrated in literalism. So, right. you know, it's uh, you know, you got to put your thinking caps on when it comes to this. But we've been bombarded, especially on social media. You know, a lot of your short form social media, you get bombarded by literalism. You know, and and I think it's a problem because. That may be someone's 30-second or 60-second exposure to a Masonic symbol or a Masonic idea, right. and that's what they hear, and it's the wrong thing to hear, right? It, it's not the right answer. So I think that's what got us together to talk about this tonight. And I think literalism 
takes you off the hook for using your mind and thinking. And say reason. more about that, Don. Why, why do you say that? Well, uh, it, it, it's, it's a safe harbor. You, you have this here. Uh, it's not me. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to reason. I don't have to put things together. I don't have to worry my head. It's all right there. So it's the easy way out. And that's, that's unfortunate. Which I think is really a good segue into like why we have ritualistic experts in masonry, right? That we are very proud of the historical like lineage and preservation of our rituals. And so because we are very careful with those, we tend to overemphasize the importance of word perfect literal you know don't mess it up it's gotta it's gotta be exactly the same we give people gold gold cards and silver cards if they can memorize it within certainly <laughs> um uh specific um number of errors for the whole entire ritual so again that's that's how someone's journey starts off <clears throat> right where we see good ritual we see people that are, are rewarded and they're known in their lodge as being the guy who can give this lecture and he gives it perfectly every time. Um, so it's not surprising to see us default to that state in masonry. And you, you talk about perfect every time, but the, the fact of the matter is on the longer uh, lectures, uh, I do lodge installations. Uh, nobody in the room knows if you goof. So <laughs> the, the key there is just keep going. <laughs> Smooth as butter. That's right. I was I was saying this, but I was muted. Um, I was going to say he gets it word perfect every time, but he don't know what it means. That's true, dude. Don't know what it means, and he said, "Yeah, I mean that that dovetails really nice into to what John said. I mean, at least here, and I, you know, let's talk about provincial masonry too. Here in Virginia, one of the cool things about it is when they they flat out tell you there is a difference between learning ritual." And learning what the ritual means. Those are two separate, right. and you have two separate groups of people that are there to teach that to you. You have people that one's education, one's not. Right. The, right. The, so back to the literal. So nowhere in that it says, do you have to take the ritual literally? You have to learn it literally. You should learn it word perfect, and you should be able to deliver it in a commanding way, you know, and have gravitas and impart it with meaning. But nowhere in that in, in that teaching of ritual does it say this is the only thing that it means and it doesn't mean anything else. And you shouldn't study any further. Into yeah. it, you know? Well, and so like, look, look at religion, right? So if you were to, to like have a problem and you say, Hey, pastor or Hey, rabbi, I have this issue. And he just says, well, this is what this verse says and just reads the verse to you and provides no context or anything that you could apply it. Right. Or interpret it in any way. Like, Thanks, but like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, that's not solving my problem. That's just reading reading a script, right? And so, same is, is true. Polyester, <laughs> but you know, go, going to the rabbi or to the uh, priest or the minister and asking them to interpret for me again takes me off the hook. It, and it I does. do less thinking. Good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah. Does mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think the, the greatest thing about masonry is it, it really does teach you to think and reason and try and apply it uh, in a practical way in your life. So. It should. It should. Which is interesting because now that you say that, even if you offload that interpretation and you ask your mentor, hey, what, what does a symbol mean, right? And they give you a little bit more, you know, uh, 
explanation or something, their interpretation of it, even then you could just be parroting that word later to the next person down, down, down the line. Right. So you have to be careful about that. Well, interesting point there. I mean, you're talking about mentorship and, and I've seen, I've seen, you know, multiple kinds of mentorship, but there's two that stick out that are relevant to, to this show. You've got your, you know, uh, at least here in Virginia and some other, uh, some other states, they're catechism based your lessons, right? So you receive a degree, you learn a catechism, it's rote memorization, whether it's in a book or you get to sit with Don once a week and learn it. Um, it's, it's you get a cipher. You it's get a literal, cipher. literal mem- memorization. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then you see, and you see people that learn that way, they meet with their mentor or they read out of the book and it is, okay, we're going to learn these five sentences and then that's it. You go home, you got them, you go home. I've seen other mentors that do catechisms that, and if you're, if Don's your catechism instructor, I guarantee you it's this latter way. Well, you'll probably learn one sentence of the actual ritual and you'll spend another two hours explaining <laughs> what the hell it means and why is it important. So, you know, I, I think that those mentors, I think have more success when it comes to imparting the lessons, right? As opposed to just giving you stuff to memorize and hundred percent lodge. Oh, Hey, I like that. Um, but yeah, I think that's, and that's a problem, right? Because we're starting off new Masons with, okay, go learn these five words. And now you're a great Mason. Goodbye. Well, well, to that point, one thing that I thought of in pre- preparing for the show was like the part S system, right. Of like biblical exegesis, where you start with the literal, but the goal is you move beyond that yeah. into more allegorical and mystical, right? And, it's and literally it, your baseline, right? <laughs> literally, we need, need a counter on this. Take a take a drink every it's time. The, yeah, yeah, it is. It's like kind of the first grade learning to read type of yeah. type of level mm-hmm. of exegesis. Yes. What Let's does it Jesus. literally say? <laughs> Yep. That was a Parks and Rex reference. Uh, you're, you're full of references tonight, Jason. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, let's let's dive in then. Let's talk about like say ritualistic. So one idea, one thing that comes to mind just from a ritual thing, um, which we kind of alluded to, which was having the literal explanation of the symbols and the degrees. Right. We have specific words that we are taught in our ritual of what this symbol means or what that symbol means. And so some would think, hey, that's all there is to it, right? If you are not looking deeper, you could just say, well, this is the this is the symbol and this is how I'm supposed to apply it symbolically. By the word by the letter of the law, not the not the spirit of the law, right? And so you could easily fall into comfort, like Don said, and saying, Well, that's just what it means. I'm I'm a Masonic expert now. I know I know how to how to use that symbol, right? So that there's a little bit of uh, danger there because for if for no other reason different jurisdictions have different explanations for the same symbol, right? So this universal system of Freemasonry that we have actually has different literal interpretations of what those working tools include. Or, or have said, and you see, and you know, I'm going to point it down here or have symbols that you in your own little lodge have never seen or heard before, but yet you're all blue lodge Masons, right? Like you go to, right. you go to England. They, what do they have? The, uh, what's that? The, the one that I don't know. Skirt. The skirt. Yeah. Skirt, yeah. Or what's the other one? That's um, in the uh, pencil. pencil. And, uh, the brooch <clears throat> thernal. What the hell is a brooch thernal? What is, what's a brooch thernal? I, I hadn't heard you of that. You know everything. <laughs> I'm going to Google that one. That's the new one for me. No. Or the pencil. Yeah, the pencil is a symbol of a I'll tell you when you're older. The skirt is a little real thing that has 
string on it that you use for measuring. So, and then you've got the Dickfer. Oh yeah. What's answering that? <laughs> <laughs> also, another thing to think about uh, from a ritual perspective is that it's not meant to be historical. I hope you're all sitting down because you know that that's that's something that might be a little taboo. Anathema. <laughs> <laughs> It's literally a good word. Um, yes. Or is it? What do you say you, Jason? Is it is masonry a historical set of rituals and documents? I would need to understand more about how you're defining <laughs> historical before I answer that. So, so what I will say is as far as we are aware, you know, one, our rituals change ever so slightly. You know, <laughs> no, isn't that for no man Time to make innovations in masonry? Time. Yeah, and then and then Desagulier and his buddies My got man. high off of acacia root and DMT <laughs> and came up with you know the master mason's degree. <laughs> what if right. we had a third degree? Yeah, that was completely different. That would be amazing. Totally. Yeah, they're talking about no. We don't care about that. No, <clears throat> I would. I would say our rituals are historical in so much as when they are written down, which, by the way, is something that no Mason should ever do. But I'm really, really glad that Masons did because then we can look at rituals as snapshots in time. Hey, Suncard Noah. And his sons were all Masons true as well. Noah Kides. Noah Kides. Thank you, Anderson. Yeah. Uh, James Anderson. He was literally writing those constitutions. It was literally not his fault, though, because people told him to do it. Hey, he was Scottish and he was drunk most of the time. So. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> he probably was literally drunk at the time. <laughs> but wouldn't it be cool if Adam was a Mason? Uh, yes. Uh, Big leaves, aprons, I can't, come on. I can't refute it. Moses was a mason, right, too, according to Anderson, Abraham. Uh, That's right. Who else? Tecton. Athelstan. Yeah. No, he was king. Father Abraham was a mason. That's how, that's how the VBS song goes, right? Oh, that's what you learned in Sunday school? Yeah, something I'm like that. I wasn't paying very, very yeah. much attention. I got it in Spanish, so it was different. <laughs> Yes. What are we talking about again? Uh, literalism. Yes. The literalism. literal history of, of so, Freemasonry, right? Because is is a ritual historical? Historically accurate. That's my question. I think it borrows historically from, accurate. It borrows from history, but it's its own history. No. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, like I said, that it's its own history. Yeah. It's it's, it's I, like it's like the movie that you go and watch, and you used to see the. Um, used to see the thing flash up before the credits. It's like, you know, inspired by historical events, although some liberties have been taken, right? Like Titanic. Yeah. So how do you explain a Wookiee? Wookiees don't uh, live on Endor. From a historic point of view. <laughs> well, it was a long time ago <laughs> in a galaxy, in a galaxy far, far, far away. You can't prove it didn't happen. Come on. That's true. Right. It's true. Burden of proof fallacy right, right there. The multiverse, people. Infinite yeah. possibilities. Man. Don, you just need to do your research. 
<laughs> you're not like if you're not going to do your research, I'm not going to sit here and explain it to you. <laughs> uh, you made a great mentor. <laughs> yes. Note to self: Don't Go be, don't be Jason's mentee. Yeah, words to live by, right? <sighs> yes. So, Rich, what other examples of literalism and ritual? So those are the two I have off the top of my head. What else can you think of? I, I can tell you one that's interesting. Over, I belong to a lodge and a chapter in Ireland, and the Irish have what's called the Grand Lodge of Instruction, which is like our committee on work. Their sole purpose, they, they are the oldest Grand Lodge in the world, uh, 1725, because 1717, that doesn't exist anymore. So uh, 1725, they're the oldest continuously operated Grand Lodge, and they're uh, Grand Lodge of Instruction, their sole purpose is to see that not one word of their ritual ever changes. And the interesting thing is, you can go, if you're a Mason, you can go right into the Grand Lodge building and buy the entire ritual totally printed out. So Nice. Yeah. See, when it's actually written down, you can ensure right. that, it that it doesn't change. That's true. <laughs> Unlike <laughs> Virginia. Good thing you're not a, in a mouth-to-ear state. Yeah, exactly. Where when My you have a question about the ear state. which word is correct and you ask two you know, instructors of work, you get four different responses <laughs> of which one's right. Yes. Oh, we got a question from the question from Saga. Which lodge in Ireland, Don? Uh, it's uh, Lodge 19, Emerald Isle Lodge number 19. And my Royal Arch chapter is the only Royal Arch chapter in all of Ireland that doesn't have a name. It's Royal Arch chapter number two. It's the oldest chapter in Ireland because number one went defunct some time ago. So. Oh, okay. It's the oldest continuously running chapter? Right. right. Literally the oldest continuous <laughs> running chapter. Literally. Literally. And both of those, uh, the Lodge 19 and the uh, uh, chapter meet at the Grand Lodge building. So. There you go, sound card. I got one. When we use words in ritual to say things literally out in the world. I've got a great example. I've seen this on social media. It really chaps my buns the wrong way. And I've seen it in other places. And, and it actually crops up in Virginia from time to time. So in Virginia, as just as an example, it's not Virginia's fault. As an example, in our ritual, we use the term Holy Bible. Some other jurisdictions use the term volume of sacred law, things like that. You know, some other uh, generic terms and things. But the words in Virginia are holy Bible. And I've sat, and I'm happy to hear your explanation. I've sat with older people on the committee on work who have been around for a while. And I've heard them get asked the question, well, hey, brother, what if, uh, what if a Jewish brother shows up? And, you know, what do we say to him when we tell him, hey, everything that we're about to say to you is going to have the word holy Bible in it. And I've heard great answers from people. Every single person I've talked to has said, we cannot change the words because the words are, you know, ineffable and they are never to be changed. Well, they're not ineffable. You can say they're them. like the landmarks, Joe. You cannot change them. But, but I've gotten and, and, you know, and I've had to do this in my lodge. And I've heard the explanation that the words Holy Bible are just a placeholder for the thing that it represents, the book that's on the altar. Because here in Virginia, you can have, you know, if you have a Jewish candidate, you can have a Tanakh on the, if you have a Muslim candidate, you can have a Quran on the altar. So we can interchange the books, but no matter what book is on the altar, we say the words Holy Bible. Yes. God and forbid you throw Quran in the ritual. 
And like you get 50 old guys on the sidelines See, dropping the party. Right, so, so the explanation that I've gotten and I've been fine and every candidate we've explained it to has been fine with it. We tell them, hey, we're going to use the words Holy Bible. Don't worry about that. We're saying Holy Bible. It's, it's just Holy book. Yeah. It is your book of faith that we're talking about on the altar. So don't get hung up on the words. Now, where this becomes a problem is and I've seen this on social media. Yep. You've got people that are running around and throwing up the words Holy Bible. And because this is not the Holy Bible. This is definitely not the Holy Bible. It's <laughs> like the Lost Keys of Freemason. It is. It is. It's, it's our book club this month. Um, I've got people who go up and say, because the words Holy Bible are in my ritual, that is the only book that's allowed on the altar and the only book we're allowed to talk about and the only book that's a symbol for Freemasonry. Guys. Masons wouldn't say that. <laughs> if only I could bring up examples. My response <laughs> to that is. Correct. Guys, <laughs> brothers, I love you, but you're wrong. And you're being overly literalistic. Literally wrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but back back to the explanation, I think it's I, I still think that's a cop out because it's kind of like, well, we're gonna reverse engineer an explanation because it was that the it was said a long time ago. For example, here's another example. How do Masons of that. wear their aprons? You got it, right? <laughs> no, no, but you're you're absolutely right because um, I've heard because Virginia does it backwards. I'm not going to go into spoiling how Virginia Masons wear their aprons the wrong way, but <laughs> I've heard people try to rationalize yeah. this the way that they wear it, and and then um, I've even seen presentations that talk about like, well, because the the mathematics of a of a triangle is facing upwards, and then a triangle is facing downwards, and then this and that, and it's like. You're, you're looking for a way to rationalize or, a literal or, interpretation instead of trying to change it. It's logical acrobatics. My, my favorite is, well, you're forever a fellow craft. So that's why you wear it like that. Shut face. <laughs> Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> you know? Yes. Don't go, hey, don't go trying to. I noticed Chris Rooley is on uh, watching tonight. Uh, uh, he's a great author, and uh, you guys might want to consider we getting him on for a program. Hi, Chris. Uh, Chris will be <laughs> hey, Chris. here. Chris He'll be, be here, here in a couple of weeks. Here in a couple of months at our Okay, watch. cool. And yeah. yeah, great suggestion, Don. Two steps ahead of you. Let's write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be on just the show be, in a couple of weeks. Just that's because it. you requested it. That's why Don's the intern, because he doesn't get to come to the grown-up <laughs> meetings. Yeah. We decide stuff. Yes. Yeah. That's where all the drinking goes on, though. Indeed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So I think we beat ritual literalism <laughs> to death. And so, by extension, when someone has that provincial view of how it's done in the literal way, then I think without being a well-traveled mason or at least understanding the jurisdictional differences then that becomes the lens of masonry it becomes the way masonry is for that individual right so there's danger in that as well i mean don's probably one of the most traveled well-traveled masons that i i know and i mean i'm sure you've seen every flavor of which way and and the least of which being pennsylvania so if you ever want to see something wild go to a pennsylvania degree <laughs> I'm uh, I'm speaking there a week from Saturday. It'll be fun because I'm going to talk about symbols and masonry that most of them have never heard about. Been there, done that, Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah traveling like over in England. First time I saw degrees over there, it was like, 
what a disappointment. <laughs> no, no drama. The second That's section, no drama at all. They give you three lectures. It's like, so, wow. <laughs> so I, I think Don's been here and, and, and this lodge has been doing it for a long time, right? Where we would have the Brits come. Mm -hmm. um, so what is it? Every three years, three years, every three years. I'm not sure. It used to be. So every three years, the Brits would come. Uh, was it their degree team, right? Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. bunch of great, great ritualists would come to, you know, the colonies. Oh, well, we, we had the Scots doing it, too. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, Sun Card, you are banned, brother. Love you, but you're gone. Goodbye. It's okay. I'll unban you, Sun Card. Yeah, you will. Um, and they would come. They'd go visit the GW Memorial, see all the sites, go to D.C., come to Virginia, and they would go around and exemplify degrees. So a year that I was a member here, they came to do the Master Mason degree. And then we put on our Master Mason degree in the same night. And uh, the Brits were fantastic. We had a spread, dinner, awesome, jovial, skip everything. We saw their lecture. We saw their their second section of their degree. And exactly, we all got up and we're like, wow, that stunk. It was just boring. <laughs> it was boring, yes. And now, the so, French. But wait, but wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. So then we went to dinner, we broke for dinner, and then we went back into the lodge room and we did the Virginia Master Mason's degree. And we're sitting on the sidelines, man, and there were British dudes that were sitting there and we're doing stuff, and they jumped and they started grabbing people. They're like, oh my God, that was the most amazing thing ever. Culmination <laughs> <laughs> of the degree, but they were all excited. Yeah, They're the, like, the English call it emulation ritual. And so that's, I don't know why they call it emulation, but uh, it just, it's lectures and just very, Unexciting, undramatic. So, but they were jazzed. Um, I forgot what we were talking about. Those now, the yeah, French degrees <laughs> are pretty awesome. Have you seen any, Jason? Uh, yeah, I've seen part of a French third degree. Nice. Yeah. Right. We have Scottish rituals. We have an yeah. Ecosse Lodge. Scottish in craft. DC. Yeah, that yeah. does some Scottish craft stuff. Uh, occasionally, they'll they'll do some in English. In Is France, that uh, La France? La France. I believe yeah. it's La France. Yeah, it's La France. Do they do it in French or do they do it in English? They do it in they. Uh, the times I've seen, they do it in French, but they are trying to get the ritual translated into English. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, that would be crispy. Yeah. <laughs> I like anyway. that. Let's talk about biblical literalism. Jason, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Jason. You got this, brother. Oh, I feel seen. <sighs> Where to begin? I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for this. The sigh no. of discontent. No, no. So, so you know, I think where where biblical literalism starts to creep in is is not necessarily even the ritual itself, but in applying your literal, albeit cherry-picked interpretation of the Bible as, you know, conflating that with the moral code of Freemasonry, either, either unintentionally or intentionally. And so that is where we get the insertion of dogmatic, um, you know, assertions, you know, into like well you know can you know can a member of the lgbt be a freemason like that, that's one example that's based in a you know Don't i man. would argue 
and you know inappropriate uh you know interpretation of the bible but that is i'm not going to to get on that soapbox tonight well i'll 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 pull that thread a little bit and say that i think it's it's also compounded by the fact that yes for the most part in continental masonry and in most other places in the world our our ritual is based around a very particular set of stories that are found in the hebrew bible or the christian bible right yep the story surrounding the construction of Solomon's temple, right? Which is a little bit, I mean, there's a good bit of it in Kings and Chronicles and a couple of other places. Um, but it's not like J.R.R. Tolkien's worth of, of meat and potatoes, right? It's very, right. very sparse stuff. And we've expanded that and created this really pretty ritual around it. But again, we've cherry picked certain aspects of it, not for, the religious purposes of it, but the but for narrative purposes, right? To tell yeah, right. a story, right? To tell right. a story about a builder, to to communicate the secret wisdom and the virtuous lessons. Right. Yes, like, and, like the ritual is a delivery mechanism. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that you know wh- when we're going on this uh, train of biblical literalism, unfortunately, there are people that take those little snippets that we've turned into a narrative the story of, of the lesson of Hiram and the, and the temple. And they've conflated that into a literal approach to the book that's sitting on that altar. Right? So this person was a real person or this absolutely happened 5,500 years ago, or, you know, Adam, or, you know, I'm not going to get pillars. They totally had pomegranates on them. Absolutely. Yes. Totes. And um, yes. And everybody was white. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Renaissance. Y'all were crazy. Okay. <laughs> Everybody in the Bible was brown like me. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> they probably had more hair. But um, but yeah, you know, it's those kinds of things that people conflate again because of the book that's sitting on the altar. And again, that's a problem because number one, it's not universal. And we're supposed to tap universality in the craft. And number two, that book itself is a symbol. It is a symbol. It has a much deeper meaning and a much deeper um story to it than just okay this is a book of scripture and the verses in there are sacrosanct and everything that's in this book applies to freemasonry it's not true it never was oh that's deep there's there is very little that we know from biblical sources about Hiram Abiff. true but there's a lot Two sentences. No, Two there's sentences. a lot we add in masonry. So, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. It's not. It's not historical. That's that's where I was going earlier, right? Well, Don was crowned at the building of Solomon's Temple. Yeah, it's gone. And uh, Hiram Abiff was not even Hebrew. He was, uh, he was from Tyre. He was a Tyrian. And where were they? I thought he was from the tribe of Naphtali. Yeah, but they, he was a man of Tyre. Ah, again, again. Uh, you take a look at uh, the literalism. No, I, I don't think he was a man from Tyre. No, if you look at the map. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Where was Tyre? It's, it's over on the Phoenician coast. Correct. Yeah. But if you look at a map of ancient Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel seem to permeate all oh, through the did, land yeah. of Phoenicia. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's a little crossbreeding going on there. So. That's there's another name for that, prosperous, <laughs> which we're not going to say on the show. <laughs> Samaritans, <laughs> yes. Oh, right. And, yeah. and and you dive into a little bit of this too uh, with like your Noahite uh, presentation, right? About like 
So, like, how many animals, Jason, did uh, Noah take onto the ark? Oh, that's oh, we're gonna we're gonna get into Genesis. Okay, yeah. So, they you screwed know, up on the unicorns, though. I know. Yeah, they the they only had one, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it was it two of every animal, or was it two of every animal plus seven of the clean animals for sacrifices? Plus. Wow. Plus, what about the animals they had to eat while they were on this ark for such a long time? That's true. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Everybody be, became uh, everybody be- became vegans. They were vegans <laughs> on the ark. Did the uh, green beans walk on two by two, or how did that work? You <laughs> said the word. <laughs> Excuse me while I beat Don. <laughs> well, and you know, it, it points to the fact that, especially in the book of Genesis, and I talk a lot about this in the Noahide presentation, like it is clearly an oral, a set of oral traditions um, that the author uh, of the book of Genesis has tried in the best way to fit together. And. Um, <laughs> We're having a really, really interesting conversation um, about. Uh, so I was at Masonicon, Kansas. And I was having a really good conversation with Matthew Parker, not Matt Parker, the destroyer of hang glider, gliders, but Matthew Parker, the expert on historical <clears throat> Judaism. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, you know, with Judaism, like the intent is like never to take things like the Pentateuch literally. There is, there is like, there is an understanding that none of that is historical. Right. However, it is still very much of value for the allegorical lessons that it teaches. Yeah. The lessons that you're absolutely right. The lessons are transcendent and even, you know, things like the Talmud, for example, and I'm sure Matthew would say this too. They speak to that fact. You know, it's like this did not happen. And if you look and I know, Jason, you cover this way better than I can. But, you know, just if we're going to pick apart Genesis, the story of Genesis is not unique to one single chapter found in one book that was, you know, that really wasn't written until maybe the 400s BC, you know, like when, you know, when they were when they were captives. But all before that time. Yeah, there you go. Um, For thousands of years, it was oral. Start again, Jason. It's the uh, Enuma Elish, which is the uh, Babylonian creation narrative, which differs quite a bit from the Sumerian and Akkadian ones that I talk about. Right, but you do have common themes. You have the primordial waters and all of them, you know, whether it's Sumerian, Babylonian, or Akkadian, or Egyptian. You've got common themes that permeate. Where did these people live? They all lived in the same place. And guess what? They talked to each other and they hung out and they right. shared stories and they shared lives together. So to think that all this stuff just magically happened in a bubble, that's a bit too literal, don't you think? And the Hebrews it, weren't really written down until they were in captivity in Babylon, right. exposed to all of their traditions. Right. So, true, true. Yeah. Exactly. And like a bad game of telephone <laughs> when you do things mouth to ear without writing it down for generation after generation the stories morph and change slightly to fit the needs of the audience we're, you see we're this, still talking about the grand lodge of virginia right no uh, oh no, okay no okay uh, the grand lodge of virginia Sorry. is immutable and unmovable unchanging um, unchanging ineffable yes. in <laughs> 
don't say ineffable Aziraphale. Um, so when you look specifically at creation stories um, for the Sumerian creation stories, you start 1700 years uh, before the common era with the Atrahasis epic, you know, it talks about taking animals and it's really a nomadic society. You spring forward another uh, hundred years and you get the Eridu Genesis, which talks about a priesthood. And so there has been, you know, a little bit of an evolution in society to, you know, form kind of a religious shamanistic center. And then you jump forward another 300 years into, um, the uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, or at least the a later version of the Epic of Gilgamesh that contains the flood story, and you have like references to crops and agriculture, and all of a sudden, like this is an agrarian society that has craftsmen and a priestly component and flocks, but then also horticulture and animal husbandry, and like you see the same themes are there. Uh, you know, it, it's the same story. It just has little embellishments to make it more relevant to the people who are listening to it. We're still talking about the four gospels, right? <laughs> oh, wait. <clears throat> You're sassy tonight. I mean, <laughs> hey, oh, all right. Everybody seemed cool. And, and then John's like, by the way, Jesus was God. I'm out. Peace out. <laughs> yep. The mystical gospel. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think. And then let's not talk about uh, John of Patmos. <laughs> Which John are we talking about? There's, there was many. Johns. We don't know. Oh, he's the one that was on drugs. <laughs> like he, he and Desigulier were, were hanging out in DMT land. They were swimming. <laughs> swimming hard. Yes. All right. So I think we queued up literalism surrounding biblicalism. Uh, quite a bit. <laughs> Biblicalism? <laughs> Biblicalism. Yeah, I literally made that word up. Um, can I can I just say how much I appreciate the, the meme that was used in tonight's artwork with the Ken Ham reference? Kudos. I grew up yeah, I, I grew up listening to Answers in Genesis with, with Ken Ham. And we saw literal dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. Right. Yes! Ark. In the Ark Encounter in uh kentucky i have to go to that we have to go to we should make a road trip (laughs) see the 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 animatronics are better than those in disney that's what i've heard they're not bad they're not bad good production value yeah all right what's next yeah just just be careful if you start loudly exclaiming everything they got wrong like apparently you'll offend little children (laughs) jason barely made it out alive never done that before so that's all I got from my show notes uh, for, for queuing up for the Masonic literalism. What did I miss? What else? So we've, we've covered ritual. We've covered like provincial masonry about things that you see. And that becomes your frame of reference for masonry. We've talked about the biblical stories that are in Freemasonry and how not to treat them as literal biblical historically accurate because again we have only two sentences to describe certain characters in masonic ritual but yet we have lots of ritual to expand upon the mythology of these characters and the virtues they stand for can we talk a little bit we mentioned it in passing but can we talk a little bit about the historical landmarks of freemasonry in context let's go 
that's another thing that a lot of Masons try to see as historical, yeah. inerrant, and immutable. Question, yes, Joe. question, question. Yes. Dr. Richards, are you talking about the historical landmarks that have been around since time immemorial, yet we only find them in print <laughs> in the 1850s? <laughs> Those are the hysterical landmarks. Uh, okay. okay. If that's what we're talking about, then cool. Let's yes. Talk. Yeah. So they're not right. So the earliest time we find them, who was it? Was it, was it Mackie? I believe so. Mackie was the right. first one to put it in print before first that. First one to write it down. <laughs> you don't find them anywhere else. But go on. What and else? so, you know, looking, looking at those in the context of a brand new speculative fraternity that harkens back to the stonemasons guild you know there are things there that just like i don't know may may have made sense in the context but but may not make sense today because how we've evolved as a society and those landmarks have changed Mm-hmm. over time yep. but isn't one of the landmarks that the landmarks cannot be changed correct until they changed it again a couple okay. years later I'm right? getting and how each grand lodge instituted their own different um, count of or enumeration of landmarks until Which, they got together at the conference of the Baltimore the, at least the baltimore convention right of an 1820 yeah. something 1834 34 had a three in it yeah 18 something baltimore convention you google it you'll find it we did an episode Uh, on it and they uh they did try to codify those and even if you look at the conference of grand masters of north america at least they do try to have 1843 had a three i was list dexic partial credit uh it had even now our conference of grand masters of north america for recognition at least have a limited subset a very small amount of these landmarks that have to be true in order to at least have the discussion of of uh, recognition mm-hmm. so that's that's interesting um but things like women aren't allowed is that a landmark uh is it a landmark is it written down is it- Good question. I don't know. That is a good question. Dudes only. Is that one of the landmarks? Yeah. Any, Don, any, any Don's rec- gonna find the loopholes. Any recognized lodge, uh would they recognize a lodge that's uh co masonry? Mackey's twenty five landmarks are fraternal <laughs> modes of recognition. The masonry as three symbolic degrees, the legend of Hiram Abiff, the government by Grand Master. Um, a couple things on the prerogative of grand masters and the necessitate the necessity for masons to congregate in lodges, the government of lodges to be a master and two wardens, the uh, necessity of a tiler. Um, <laughs> uh, no unknown visitor be allowed to be sat in a lodge without being examined. No lodge can interfere in the business of another lodge. Oof, that is Send have, oh, that have you yeah. been oh. to our, our district lately yeah <laughs> um the belief in god the existence of god must be a requirement for membership the belief in a resurrection to a future life must be a requirement for membership um 
the book of law or the book of the law is an indispensable part of the furniture of the lodge. How did that turn into the King James edition as produced by Mackey or by McCoy? Because it's very pretty. Gotcha. And you can get okay. it engraved with your name on it. And they make a lot of money. And they selling. make lots of money. <laughs> yes. The equality of Masons, the secrecy of the institution. Uh, I mean, this podcast kind of blows that wide open. Um, it was a nice fraternity we used to have. Yeah. The foundation of a speculative science upon an operative art and the symbolic use and explanation of the terms for that art for the purposes of moral teaching. Wait, symbolic use of those terms? Uh, oh, so it doesn't Not, say literal use of those it terms? It doesn't say literal oh. use of those oh. terms. Man, well, and that literally none of these landmarks can be changed. <laughs> it has the word literally. So to answer Don's question, no, it doesn't say dudes only. Go on in. Water's fine. <laughs> Odd fellows. Interesting. All right. Well, this is great. Um, I think we've covered quite a breadth of the categories and avenues of which we could literally interpret Freemasonry and how it can have negative side effects when you are just... <laughs> when you're applying those <clears throat> without without some of that critical thought, right? Critical thinking, right? We, right. we are a fraternity. It takes good men to make them better. And we want to make sure that um, we are growing the individual through that the allegorical development and that they, they take these lessons and take them further, not just, not just repeat the same words that are spoken back to them. So I'm going to hand it off to Jason to start us off for the final question of the day is... Is there anything that could literally be true as far as a core concept of masonry that, uh, that does not have some sort of symbolic, allegorical, or interpretive meaning? Is there something that's steadfast? I think there are... Hmm, I think there are certain imperatives that are absolutely meant to be taken literally. The Masonic Code. Not much room for speculation or uh, you know, allegorical discovery in the Virginia Methodical Digest. The law. The law. <laughs> I think there are certain certain imperatives that can be taken at face value, you know, relieving the distressed, um, especially, you know, widows and orphans of Freemasons. Like those, those things and those imperatives, I think, can be taken as a literal imperative, um, even though one might allegorically um, expand the definition of Masonic widows and orphans to all mankind or all humankind. Um, but these really principles are to extend further. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Every human being, every human. being. Don't be a jerk. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I would say within the ritual, uh, so much of it is left open to your interpretation but when it comes to the bylaws, the edicts, the code, 
Um, those are, I think, the you know kind of the the Masonic tenets that form a literal structure for how the lodge must operate and how the Grand Lodge must operate. Well, with the ritual, I think just about anything and everything can and should be left open to symbolic and allegorical discovery and interpretation. Nice. Thanks for that. Don and Joe. Uh, I'll let Don go first. But just as society changes, I mean, we're not the same society now as they were in the 1600s or uh, B.C., uh, society changes. And so as society grows and expands, it changes. And if you have literalism, that obstructs changes. So society would never advance. It would never progress. And uh, that's, that's my two cents worth. Love well, it. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I was thinking about this, what, what, the, what my answer would be. And I, I'm going to have to dovetail a little bit on what Jason said. I think the things you're told to inculcate and your the let's say the charges of a Freemason um, and Jason kind of alluded to this, those, I think you can take literally, you know, um, be a quiet and peaceable citizen. Um, give to those who need um, espouse faith, hope, and charity, you know, do good all, unto all. Those are all immutable truths. Right. And, and there's really, you don't have to interpret them any further, you know, exactly. You know, have faith, have hope, espouse charity, and you will organically become a better person and not be a douche. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's literally the way to practice Freemasonry. But again, Jason's spot on. I think the ritual itself is the vehicle for, to impart those lessons. You cannot, I know you're, he's always shocked when I say Jason's right. Um, but he <laughs> is, he's very right. Um, and the ritual and the, the egregore and the and the being with your brothers in a lodge all of that is a vehicle to serve a purpose and that's to deliver the message of freemasonry but that message of freemasonry is pretty damn simple um and you can take it literally uh everything else crack open mackie crack open hall get crazy with pike just go nuts and and then end up writing your own book so boom i like it get crazy with pike that's get crazy like that's a that's a good catchphrase. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> Party time! All right, uh, wrapping up. Yes, everything you guys said. Uh, I think the only thing that really should be taken literally in masonry is the penalty of your obligations for the three degrees. Right? Those are ouch. Yeah. So be careful. <laughs> Watch out. We're coming for you. No, that's going to get me on some list somewhere. I know. Um, no, I, I, but I think as I interjected with, with Joe's comment, if nothing else, the thing that you should take the most literal while following the literal uh, laws and bylaws uh, and the constitutions of your jurisdiction, you should also do good unto all. That's really what it sum summarizes up to. And so uh, we have allegory for a purpose, right? We, we have this beautiful system for a purpose that's to teach us something that's supposed to not give us the answers, but point us in the right direction so that we can discover that for, the, for ourselves. And too often I see, dare I say it, exoteric Masons that will take the literal words and just 
don't don't go any deeper, right? They don't do any digging. They don't find out what that means to them or, or where that's sourced from or, you know, how it applies to their religious system or their background or their ethics, right? And and that is really the magic of masonry is to take those things and, and dig deeper within ourselves. That's why it's that's why it's a great system, because we can have men of many faiths that pull together and look beyond the literal and look at how that applies to their their moral fiber and i think that's uh that's certainly the guidance going forward which is why we decided to have this episode right we want to take it beyond the literal part of masonry and and expand our horizons dig deeper find those truths within ourselves to make ourselves a better person that's what it's all about so hey i want to thank you all very much for watching we'll see you next week and keep searching for more light have a good night Wow.